This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Anna Brunel, CFO of Canestral Technologies, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 634. These integrations are important. You need to hit the ground running with an organization where people know what area am I in and who is in charge of the integration for that area, whether it's IT or engineering or or anything. You need that firm organization because there's a lot of anxiety in any of these transactions. Everybody's a little uncertain. What will my job be? Where will it be? Who will my boss be? Those are the those are the three big questions. You won't have answers to it initially, but you need to give people comfort. Hey, there's an organized look at this. Here's the people that are examining it. We will get in the proper input and we will make good and sound decisions. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Steve Young, CFO of Duke Energy. One of the largest energy holding companies in the United States, Duke's electric utilities and infrastructure business unit serves approximately 7.5 million customers across six states in the southeast and midwestern United States today. Duke has been an acquisitive company over the years, and Steve Young has long been one of Duke's primary M&A architects, integrators, strategists. When it comes to M&A, Steve Young has worn many hats. Steve was named Executive Vice President and CFO back in 2013. This year marks Steve's 40th year at Duke, which he joined in 1980 as a financial analyst. Our talk with Steve Young begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Steve Young, CFO of Duke Energy. Steve, welcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Steve, we've been looking uh, forward to this, of course, and I I mentioned up front uh, to our listeners that you built your career inside Duke, and in fact, uh, you've been there 40 years this year, I believe, uh, which is uh, just a a rare uh, milestone for any executive. So we appreciate catching up with you at this place in time, and particularly getting to ask you this question, which is where we say, look back for us. And, and share with us some of those experiences from the past that you feel prepared you and shaped you for a CFO role. What would those be? Gosh, you know, over, over 
40 plus years. It, it, it is a long time. It doesn't feel that long, but it is. And, uh, you know, I'll hit a couple of the highlights. Uh, you know, I came right out of college uh, working at Duke Energy as a financial assistant one. Uh, so not only is it a, a long tenure uh, at Duke Energy, it's, it's really the only post-college job I've had. So thinking about it, you know, right out of the gate, uh, I liked the people that I was working with. I liked what the company was doing um, and the way they treated people, and that's held up. But initially, right out of the gate, you, you know, you don't know where you're going to go. You don't know if you're going to be that successful. It's a matter of are there friendships? Do you like the people that you're working with immediately? And that, that hit me there. And so that kind of helps you motivate to work day to day and, and, and do the job. I would say another important thing that, that came up um, was, you know, five to seven years into the career, um, I started working um, at a level to where I was interacting with um, some executive level people or near executive level people, people who were were doing well in the organization. And at that time, I was working on financial matters um, within the company. And that was my first exposure uh, to some of these these people. And and uh, I, I developed a, a great deal of respect for them. Uh, they worked hard. They were bright people. And they also were looking out uh, to see where the talent was. And that impressed me. Um, and, and so that motivated me to, to work hard because I, I felt it's going to be recognized here, and, and ultimately it was. Um, and uh, some people came to me, a particular executive in the race and regulatory affairs area at the time, and said, uh, will you come over and, and work with me in this area? Uh, and this particular person was a, a tough, hard-nosed uh, executive, had a reputation for that, um, but I was excited for the opportunity and, and jumped into that uh, and had a great mentor-mentee relationship with that, with that particular person for, for about 10 years. And then when, they, when he retired, I took uh, his place, uh, and that was my first move into the executive ranks. But I, I would just point to, you know, first when you get into a spot, you just, you're looking around, uh, do you enjoy the people you're working with, your peers, then you start to look at uh, the leaders and what type of leadership do you see and how does the interactions go with them. And it, and it went well for me out of the gate. Is there a place in time where you recall becoming the leader, where suddenly you looked around and instead of looking up to those people you just described for us, <laughs> there were people looking up to you, but suddenly you're leading these people and you have a set of skills and you, you've you emerged as a leader and you didn't necessarily mark it with a promotion or what have you. Maybe it was just a, uh, as you look back, when did that happen exactly? Was it, was it 25 years ago? Was it, was it longer? You know, for me, I would say it was around, um, I was probably 10 to 10 to 15 years into my career. So I would have been into, you know, early, early mid thirties. Um, I had, I had moved up, but was not yet an executive, but I had moved up a few notches and I was somebody that, uh, certain executives went to, and that was known. I mean, people could see that. Um, and my knowledge base was building. I was getting, um, 
pulled into projects. I was getting asked about things that were indicative of this is somebody that may be a leader at some point. And you, and you do kind of realize that. And um, what followed that then was some promotions into clear leadership roles. Uh, but, but that's when it kind of struck me was when uh, uh, prior to the, those promotions, at about that time frame, I was getting pulled in and asked to help out on various things that, that gave me an indication of that. And, and I enjoyed that. I, I must admit, I enjoyed that feeling. Do you think it was um, your expertise or, and I imagine it's a combination of a number of things, but I'm wondering if there was something that was already your signature. You mentioned you got pulled into projects. Were you volunteering for projects? We often hear from finance leaders, hey, go go find something to fix and fix it just to just to reveal how handy you are. Was that what you're up to or no? Maybe you had demonstrated a skill set that the leaders sought you out for. You know, I think in my case, um, what I showed out of the gate was a good work ethic and good technical knowledge in finance, accounting, those kind of things that I'd been trained in. And I think that got enough attention that they'd say, okay, there's a, there's a new issue in this area. Uh, give it to Young, see what he'll do with it. Have Young help out. And I was very eager to do that. Um, so I think initially there was some technical competence that kind of gets the ball rolling when you're when you're working out of the gate. You're not in a leadership role. You're in more of a a functional technical role. Typically, for me, it was in accounting and finance. So I, I, I showed some skills there. I think the next step there is as you are assessing an issue and working on a problem, your ability to absorb the issue, to understand it, to understand the implications of it, and then especially to explain it. Uh, to upwards channels or uh, non-financial channels, uh, in my case, in an understandable fashion, that became uh, a distinguishing feature. This person's not only technically capable in the area of their training and expertise, they can assess impacts to the broader corporation and explain it in an understandable fashion. I I think that is, is what uh, came out a, a bit for me. I could see, hey, hey, there's value in being able to explain this at differing levels, not just your your comfort level, a technical level. Uh, so, so for me, that was what became a signature: is that um, I, I could go into different venues and explain these things. Now, along the way, it's it's pretty clear that uh, Duke's M and A activities open the door to other opportunities for you. <laughs> I, I would have occupied much uh, of your career years. Um, can you tell us a little bit about when you first became, if you were to think back, what was the first M&A experience? And uh, do you like the way I characterize it? That M&A has really shaped your career at, at Duke. Well, it has. Uh, you know, Duke is, is large. We've done a number of transactions, acquisitions, divestitures, and I've been involved in um, in virtually all of them, uh, in, in fact, all of them. My first one was in the mid-90s when we um, merged with Pan Energy. 
and uh, I was relatively new in the career, but I was I was definitely on the rise, uh, and uh, I was pulled into that process. And uh, mergers were rare in the utility industry. Certain laws had to be repealed. They were, and it opened it up a bit for mergers that have since occurred, but this was early on. And um, what was interesting there was, you know, meeting people from the other company and strategizing about how to merge two cultures together, how to merge different business units together, how to find synergies, where best practices are, uh, and how to communicate uh, with people uh, who don't know the, the culture that you know and, and, and you don't know their culture. It was, it was really um, an interesting dynamic in, in uh, learning how to listen, how to read people, how to think, uh, strategically, uh, and, and the M&A transactions uh, really bring that out. It started with that one in the mid-90s. Uh, then uh, about 10 years later, we had a, a number of business activities. We had developed an international business and a merchant business. We then uh, sold those and merged, merged with Synergy. All of that happened within really a two-year period around 2005, 2006. So we had a number of divestitures and an acquisition. And that was really fascinating to go through, how do you pull these pieces apart, put new pieces together, uh, have a cohesive business plan, um, make it understandable to the shareholders, to the SEC, to your regulators. A really fascinating challenge um, that requires you to understand things at a technical nature and then to be able to boil it down uh, to an understandable level for all, all sorts of, of interested parties. My way of looking at this from the outside uh, is that during the course of your career, there were uh, companies that were integrated into Duke, and very often you found yourself as the lead finance executive and I, I I'm I'm speaking in broad terms here um, right. and so it was up to you to try to understand how uh, the financials of one company and and Dukes could become one uh, after the uh, the merger or integration and I think there was several of those if not more and and what I'm building to is the fact that in 2012 of course when Duke energy and progress energy, come together, you know, you're, you're part of that as well. And that's the year before you really ascend to Duke Energy's uh, CFO role. How am I doing? Am I getting that correct? Or how would you? Yeah, that's correct. That's right. Um, in 2012, we, we uh, closed the merger with Progress. Uh, I was the head of the finance integration uh, of that. Uh, entity, and that was, you know, a great learning experience. Now, is that an official title, uh, finance integration? Because that seems to be a role that you have played all along, but I, I'm not sure it was ever. It was clear to me that the leadership of Duke always understood this is certainly where Steve, we want Steve. Uh, but it, was it an official title, or, or uh, how do you feel, uh, uh, you know, over time, the role that you've played? Yeah, you know, what will happen, uh, I had a financial, I was the senior VP and, and the corporate controller at the time, and then the merger's announced, um, and 
you do get kind of an additional title, if you will. It's an assigned role. You're the controller. That's great. Keep doing that. But here's what you're also going to do. You're going to be the chief integration officer for finance, and uh, you're going to have to allocate your time, uh, and you're going to have to put a team together, and it'll be people that are also allocating their time. Uh, find the right mix of, of people. You're going to need people from uh, Progress and Duke working together, coordinated activity, looking at treasury, looking at accounting, looking at risk, uh, budgeting, looking at all of these uh, financial aspects, developing work plans, needed resource levels, what are uh, all the products of uh, the financial cycle going to look like on this combined basis, what staffing levels do you need, um, uh, where will people be located, uh, et cetera. You work through soup to nuts on that. Uh, so it does, you are given an official title, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's just so people know. This is the, the throat to choke here, Steve Young, on the, on the integration. And uh, I, I did that at, in Piedmont. In Piedmont, I was in charge of the entire integration, not just um, finance, um, uh, the entire integration. Uh, you do assign people. Uh, these integrations are important. You need to hit the ground running with an organization where people know uh, uh, what area am I in cause, uh, and, and who is in charge of the integration for that area, whether it's IT or engineering or, or anything. You need that firm organization because there's a lot of anxiety in any of these transactions. Everybody's a little uncertain. Uh, what will my job be? Where will it be? Uh, who will my boss be uh, going forward? Those are the those are the three big questions uh, that you've got to. And you won't have answers to it initially, but you need to give people the comfort. Hey, there's an organized look at this. Here's the people that are examining it. We will get in the proper input, and we will make good, sound decisions, and we will keep you informed. Um, but the integration, you know, it requires a lot of thought to do it right. And we've had a great track record, I think, on integrating uh, companies uh, here at Duke. One of the things you mentioned uh, when I asked you to look back to that first experience, you brought up the, the subject of culture. And I just imagine you sitting across the table and being able to sort of look into the, this other company. Again, their executives are across the table from you. You're trying to get a sense of how the company operates and trying to get a sense of the culture and whether it could possibly sort of share a rhythm with, with Duke, I would imagine. Um, but not every controller is capable of getting a read on that. Uh, controllership is, is a, a skill set so, so much needed in this process, but perhaps not every one of them are, are well-suited to be a finance integration lead. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think uh, I would because the controllership, like a lot of jobs, but certainly has a, a technical background to it. And you kind of think of these are accounting experts. How are they going to assess culture, um, strategic structure, process, and that kind of thing? Um, so I wouldn't say it's natural at all. Uh, I, I think I had some background that helped me here a bit in that uh, I was in charge of what is called regulatory affairs uh, within uh, the utility uh, earlier in my career, kind of my first executive-type position, leadership position. And in that role, what I would do is I, would, I was the lead witness for the company in rate cases where we go before the commissions. And that's a process that utilities go through. 
Uh, other companies don't have to do that, other industries, but utilities must, and it's important. And so I spent a lot of time um, talking to regulatory commissioners in various state capitals, testifying about the need for rate increases um, and what the company's trying to accomplish. And I think that um, gave me a broader uh, background than just pure accounting and controllership might have. And it was very useful to me as I did uh, other things in my career. I like to ask this question often of finance leaders in specific industries. Um, and just given that background where you're accustomed to explaining very complex issues to a broader group, uh, public affairs, what have you, uh, regulatory affairs, uh, perhaps you might have a, a good uh, answer to this. Um, when you meet other senior finance executives from different industries, does it what surprises you in terms of how what they misunderstand about energy? Is there something that frequently as you've you know compared notes or approached people, they might ask you a question and you're like, well, that's really surprising. I don't know why you thought that was the nature of our business or how finance works in an energy company. Does anything come to mind? Well, a couple of things that you'll you'll run into. One is uh, what I just alluded to. Uh, they won't understand that our pricing mechanisms are governed by uh, regulators. Uh, we, we don't go out to the market uh, typically for, for our regulated services and set the pricing. So they don't realize, wow, there's this whole dynamic behind putting together a rate case and uh, testifying and going through all of those machinations before you can uh, change your price to reflect uh, what uh, your updated costs. So, so that's something that that hasn't isn't intuitively uh, necessarily un, uh, been understood by people in other industries. I, I think the other thing that is I've found is that uh, in the financial area of things, is a lot of people don't understand how capital intensive we are, and that. Uh, although we are considered kind of a safe haven for investors, I mean, we have challenges uh, in, the, in our financial uh, area in getting access and raising funds because we are always out there building new facilities to replace old facilities. We've, uh, we're repairing from storm damage. Uh, and people don't realize how capital intensive our business is. Those are the two areas that uh, I've, uh, I've, I've constantly had to, to tell people, we're not a cash cow. Utilities are not a cash cow. We are typically spending more than we're taking in, uh, and that's uh, part of our obligation to serve every customer that moves in, um, and that's part of the regulatory compact we have. So those are a couple of areas that I've seen in my career that have been misunderstood. You know, an expression that you used I thought was interesting. You referred to one of your early, and I suppose he was a mentor, but one of the executives who reached out to you, you said was hard-nosed. Would you, um, is Steve Young's leadership hard-nosed? I, I, have, I have been told it is not. Uh, you, you always wonder what, uh, what you hear, but I've been told that uh, I'm, I'm fairly steady and fairly calm, 
um, and uh, don't get overly emotional over um, the, the bad things that inevitably have to happen, uh, you know, in any venture in life probably. Uh, so I, I don't think I, I've been viewed internally as hard-nosed. Uh, I think um, when I was over the regulatory affairs area, some of the people that I would have to deal with as I was uh, um, being witness advocating for the company would say that I was hard-nosed in my defense of the company. But I think the management style internally, uh, I, would, I don't know that it would be viewed that way at all. We've been talking about how your leadership sort of evolved, and I'm wondering if you see the function around you. And I'm certain uh, it's been digitized in certain ways, but but uh, just to discuss a little bit about the finance function and the role it plays within the organization, can you reflect a little on how that's evolved over time? I'm certain there are certain tasks you were assigned 40 years ago that are no longer <laughs> There's a, that finance analyst doesn't have to do anymore. But what what would you share with us? You know, uh, th- there are some 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 broad things that have changed, and and some uh, you know specific things that have changed. And I'll, I'll give you a few examples. I, I think over the years, finance uh, within our industry, I think in in, in corporate industries as as a whole, uh, the role of the CFO has broadened. It used to be more towards uh, keep liquidity and funding going uh, and produce um, you know, financial statements that are compliant with, with various rules. Uh, but it's expanded to include um, strategic work. It is uh, expanded to include all of the investor relations communications, which due to the Internet have broadened and deepened dramatically. So, so the dialogue with investors and analysts has intensified tremendously, uh, certainly over my career, and that falls in the CFO's lap. And then, you know, if, if you're having that dialogue, you're naturally going to be talking about the strategic intent of the company. So I think the, the CFO role has broadened out there. Additionally, the, the CFO function has become a function where a, a, a lot of uh, – areas get thrown to just because of the broad management skills that may exist. Uh, for, for example, I've been over IT, the IT function, uh, for three and a half years, um, which is an incredibly important core function. That was several thousand people that, uh, that were I had in addition to, to CFO. I've currently got enterprise security, cybersecurity, physical security. So there are some administrative functions that often will fall into a CFO category. I've seen that grow uh, over my career. Uh, but, you know, you were mentioning some things um, uh, in the past. Uh, I, I can remember early in my career, at one point, uh, I was over the mailroom, and mailrooms don't exist anymore. <laughs> that, was, that was part of a, a finance function. Uh, that and, and like a payroll processing and, and those types of departments, you know, have been fully automated away and, and don't exist anymore. So that's those are a few items that come to mind on the the broad and the more narrow scale of changes uh, of, in finance. Just want to uh, just regards to the the technology function, and I know I think you it's referred to as a business transformation in technology function. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yes. 
why um it, it seems like that's uh important to uh m a work as well or uh, just given that when you acquire another company they might have an entirely different technology infrastructure so not only are there finances ha- that have to be integrated but the company's technology platform am i right or is this something uh, unrelated uh, no you're you're right and and um the technology side of, of any business, certainly um, uh, at Duke Energy, is uh, very dramatically important, and, it, and the importance is accelerating. So that's why we set up a business transformation capability. Uh, we've got a separate facility that um, you know houses several hundred people who are just looking at how can we take technology, whether it's data analytics or digital um, and how can we put products in place that will streamline uh, the efforts of, of employees in this company? And, and it's incredibly important. In the M&A environment, uh, one of the big efforts that you do in integration is assess where, what are your IT platforms uh, for payroll, for work management, um, for, uh, for, for benefits, for, for um, your generating facility, uh, information for your financial systems, uh, all of that. You'll look at the where where are your platforms, what are they, what condition are they in. Let's start planning and integration here. Um, and uh, it, it is one of the the biggest features of uh, of an M and A transaction in integration is getting systems uh, up and running. The the quicker you can get on a common platform, the quicker. People will start speaking the same languages. They will then be able to transfer more easily uh, 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 from company to company, business unit to business unit, and you'll start getting more best practice sharing. You'll you'll start to to see uh, a better benefit from your human resource side of things when people are working off the same platform. So technology is really advancing in importance within any enterprise, I suspect. I want to just, uh, again, you're, you, uh, you're the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that you became uh, involved with, communicating with. Uh, I want to just zero in on that experience because it, I, I wonder at the time whether other executives like yourself may have looked at that as... Um, not mission critical to my career. This is some sort of outlying, important, but sort of uh, off the track here, maybe not worth my time or dedication. You saw it differently, clearly. Maybe maybe there's some obvious reasons why you, you knew it would be important uh, for your future. You mentioned how the CFO role has broadened. There's a little question, the skills and the experience that you had there, no, no doubt broadened you and made you a, a better CFO. Uh, but I'm wondering why back at the time you might have seen it differently than others who might have thought, nah, not really what I, I want to do as a finance executive. Yeah, you know, um, I, I was, yeah, this is a good point because this this came my way. Uh, can you, you know, do you want to get involved in the regulatory processing? Um, it's a smaller group. It was outside of finance. Um, and, and work on these rate cases, and, and you'll be involved in, in uh, federal um, uh, regulatory work, which is um, a, one of our smaller parts of the business. 
she'll also be involved in the state regulation, which is big, big, bigger. But, um, you know, what I did see um, was this is really, in, in many ways, the lifeblood of the profitability and the revenue streams and the pricing uh, for uh, the company as a whole. And this is a, a very critical area. Um, and uh, I, I had been fortunate that uh, before I, I was even offered this position, I worked on some of these rate cases uh, just as, in addition to my accounting work, I was asked to go over and help compile information for these rate cases. And again, I was just at a staff level, but it was an additional opportunity, it was additional work, uh, but I started to see uh, how this process is so important to us. And it's outside of the traditional finance areas, but for our industry, uh, I saw uh, a great opportunity there. And so um, I, I did not push away when asked, hey, do you want, in, in addition, there's an opportunity, in addition to what you're doing, go over and work and help them compile inf information and data for a rate case. I'd go do it. And um, I'm glad I did because I started to learn about it, and I said, hey, this is important. This is this is." Uh, this value is, is underestimated, and it's going to go up in time, and, and it's paid off for me. So a 40-year career, 39 and a half years of never having to uh, experience a pandemic. So here you are. <laughs> it's just sort of uh, new to so many businesses and industries. It's that sort of people describe it as a black swan event in some ways. You know, tell us about... Uh, your, you know, reflect a little on the pandemic and, and uh, you might tell us a little bit about the early days when you might not have perceived it as a threat and then clearly uh, it was going to be something much more than so many of us thought. Right. Um, you know, this thing moves so quickly and you're right, it's unprecedented. Uh, no experience directly and didn't know anybody that had any directly. So you're, you're sitting here moving through the year. We had our annual earnings call in February, um, and it, it wasn't on the horizon uh, in a significant way then. We rolled out our five-year business plan, which did not incorporate anything at that time for the pandemic. Uh, other Everybody in our industry was in the same spot. Um, but then, uh, you know, quickly it hit and it spread, and you, you started to see the cascading of um, the, the closing of businesses and uh, the, the, um, the, the medical issues associated with it and people trying to assess very quickly, what are we going to do as quickly as we can uh, to try to put ourselves in a position where we can just medically um, get our arms around what this thing is. And it happened very quickly. So what we all... Uh, we did it in the at the C-suite level as we got down here and said, all right, very quickly identify for each of your areas who can work remotely um, and who must be at a facility. And uh, that's step one. Uh, step two is let's get the, the technology capabilities in place for those uh, people that will be re uh, working remotely. Um, 
and then uh, step three, let's identify uh, how to communicate and help our employees. Uh, this is going to be very difficult for them, so we have to think about um, uh, fin financial assistance for, for uh, the, the folks that are at the, the lower levels of pay. Uh, we have to go through all, uh, and, and think through all of that. The next step was think about customers, our customers, the strain they're going to be going through. And in our service, electricity and, and, and energy as a whole, so essential um, that, uh, you know, we quickly concluded we, we've got to stop all disconnections for non-pay and communicated that, put our customers at ease, put our employees at ease on how we were going to do it. But it just took very quick work. And I do think that I liken it to when we uh, suddenly get hit with a winter storm uh, or uh, a hurricane. Uh, when you get into those modes, and we have experience in those things, uh, which we did not in the pandemic, but when you put people's heads together, it's amazing the talent that we have in this enterprise. And people figured out quickly how to work remotely, how to communicate it, what to do for employees and customers, how to set up the technology. Um, how to set up a nuclear operating area so that it's safe for those that have to be in there and people have to be there. Um, how we get people out in the field to repair damaged lines from a storm, which had to be done, and how to do that in a socially distanced way with PPE equipment, et cetera. And, and I'm just amazed how quickly people put all of that together for their respective areas. We got it coordinated, um, and we really haven't missed a beat. Uh, frankly, in providing continuous uh, service uh, in this new environment. And sometimes when you get hit with an emergency, you just start working so hard you don't even have time to think about um, you know, the rarity uh, and magnitude of what you're dealing with. Let me ask, I was going to, I usually ask this near the end, uh, but I'm wondering how your priorities as a finance leader have changed due to this environment that we're all part of now? Yeah, well, you know, um, and I'll talk about it in a couple of ways. In, in my role in finance, one of the first things I had to do when this thing hit and rolled through was I had to develop revised financial plans to communicate uh, to our board of directors, to our investors, um, to, to other stakeholders. And so that process, you know, hit us uh, in March and, and uh, you know, it, it, it continues here. But we had to revise the financial plan uh, in light of uh, businesses being unable to, to, to be open, in light of uh, people having to spend more time at home and recast all of that. We had to work with all of our lenders and banks on uh, the arrangements for the financing uh, under this new regime uh, and new situation and, and get through that. So that was step one as, as role of, of CFO is to, to put all of that in place. Uh, you know, as a leader within the company, um, what you have to really do is, is step up your communication with employees. And we in finance are working almost entirely remotely and have been doing it so since March. So it's piling on several months. But you work with the CorpCom area. Catherine uh, Butler has been uh, very helpful to me here. Uh, we send out videos 
uh, just kind of video chats. Uh, I, I do that frequently. Um, you engage in Teams meetings. Um, you'll get a list of people just to call. How are you doing? What's going on? I used to walk around the halls and talk to you. I can't do it now, so I'm giving you a call. You really have to, as a leader, step up and uh, openly embrace new ways to communicate with people. But the key thing is to communicate with your employees every way you can. It doesn't have to be about work. Just call them, ask them how they're doing. And um, I, I think that's been the most important thing. We'll be back with Steve Young, CFO of Duke Energy, after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Steve, I, I've asked some of my questions out of order, and uh, I've asked a, a number of additional questions. I thought a 40-year career uh, prompted me somewhat to take a different uh, approach uh, with this interview. Uh, however, we do want to ask you for what we call a finance strategic moment, and this is where Anytime during the course of your career, you had a moment of strategic insight uh, that led you to pursue an opportunity, uh, avoid a risk, whatever it may have been. Does anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? You know, I, I would, uh, I have had a few. I, I certainly have had a few. Um, I've certainly. Uh, I can recall when I was looking at um, some of our businesses and saying, I've assessed this, uh, I don't think this is within our core competency, and I think we need to begin to think about how to divest this business efficiently and effectively. Um, uh, that's happened a couple of times with merchant um, uh generation business as opposed to regulated businesses with an international business um, that uh, that we had uh, I, I've certainly had moments where I've you know done work and, and seen things and said I uh, strategically here let's let's think about these things uh, those have, those have been a couple uh, certainly there and then you know in evaluating uh, the M&A opportunities on the acquisition side um, there have been times where we've we've said, um, you know, where I've come forward with Piedmont, and I said, this is the premier, uh, you know, gas distribution franchise. I think this is fabulous opportunity um, uh, to 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 get this entity. We know it so well. They're headquartered in Charlotte. We we know their employees. Uh, they're in our communities, and it's and it 
just lends itself so nicely. Uh, so that's another example uh, that, that comes to my mind of, of things that have hit me in my career. That's one, one last thing there. That I, I thought it was interesting when you mentioned the divestiture. Um, how uh, sometimes it's obvious that uh, perhaps that a divestiture is necessary that uh, you know there's a business and and the numbers tell it all it's just not a good fit for whatever reason um other times though when you arrive at the decision to divest and i know there's a lot that goes into this type of decision making but something that you said uh, made me think uh, it might be interesting sometimes it's a matter of having discussions sometimes it's sort of around the table with senior executives discussing the, the strategic challenges and then arriving at that moment of insight, uh, which isn't necessarily black and white. Uh, how am I doing? Am I uh, or no? Yeah. Is this very often no, black I and think, white? Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. Uh, it's not just black and white. It's not just uh, numbers. I, I, that's one aspect of it. But you have to think about what's the skill set of management? What's what? Uh, where are we headed? What do our investors value? And the marketplace will change in terms of, of what is valued. Uh, there have been times in my career when uh, having diversified businesses uh, was popular in the marketplace. Uh, I think now things have moved to stick to your knitting, um, work within core competencies. Uh, so you, you've kind of got to have your finger on the pulse of what uh, various stakeholders uh, appreciate, and that can change over time. You've got to keep your eye on the pulse of where's the management skills and capability um, and, and uh, have a, uh, an honest dialogue around that. Those are things that are in addition to the pure numbers. And what shapes keeping your pulse on uh, the investment community, keeping your pulse on the climate out there. Uh, one would imagine this is an interesting time to have your, your fingers on that pulse. Uh, there's so many unknowns, I would imagine. Um, how do you, would you reflect just one last time for us on the, on, uh, the current environment and, and how you're trying to get a read on what, what, what the market is, is telling you? Yes, that's right. And, and it is, uh, you know, very dynamic here. You've got to assess, in our case, in Duke Energy's case, we've got various energy utilities um, in the Midwest and the Southeast. And we're looking at our underlying customer base. And, uh, you know, how are things going for these folks? Because ultimately that's important for, for us as, as we serve our, our various customers. How are the industries uh, working there? How, how is the organic growth or, uh, you know, where's the migration? And that's where you look at uh, our businesses in Florida and the Carolinas are continuing to see migration into those areas. So that serves as a, uh, an upside for our business profile um, compared potentially to other areas. So, uh, you know, you're, you're constantly assessing. And in this environment, what you're trying to project is how our business is going to respond um, how is the economy going to respond? And uh, then you throw into, are we headed for a new administration um, and uh, new uh, political wins? Are we going to have tax reform in another way? Are we going to have more uh, decarbonization push? What will that do to our business? 
so, you know, more questions than answers right now, but that's what you do the scenarios on. Um, uh, you know, we need to be prepared for decarbonization, which I think we are. We need to be prepared for storm-hardened grid uh, work. Those are the kind of things. We need to be prepared for a customer base uh, that is challenged economically uh, for a period of time. So you look at your cost structure. What costs can you drive out of your business to offset that top-line revenue loss? Those are the kinds of things we're thinking about right now. Steve Young, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.